1: Apple is up 2.6% today. (laughs) For the year, though, year over year, I should say, from this day last year, Apple is up 85%. So this 2.5% increase, uh, probably not uh, the biggest of its year. Nevertheless, it's up on an electric vehicle report. It's going to make one. We knew it was going to, but now we have a, a little bit more detail. So let's bring in somebody who knows a lot about what Apple is doing and how it can be successful. Dan Ives of Wedbush Securities joins. So, Dan, we knew that at some point we would probably get an electric vehicle from Apple. What do we know now that we didn't know in the last few days?
0: Well, I think it's really around the battery technology and some of the innovations going on within Cupertino. I mean, if you look at the EV and the autonomous vision at Apple, there's been a lot of starts and stops. But clearly, they're going to dive into the deep end of the pool. I believe it's going to be through more of a strategic partnership. But clearly, it's going to send a ripple effect across EV. And from a stock perspective, it's just an, another arrow in the quiver when you look at the overall ecosystem going forward.
1: Where does the confidence come from that Apple will be successful? I mean, it's it's great at other things, but I mean, vehicles are a whole different kettle of fish, as they say.
0: Yeah, no doubt. And that's why I don't believe that they ultimately start manufacturing their own cars. I believe they're going to leave that to a partner, potentially a Tesla or a VW, because, you know, I think that's the thing. Investors want to see them from a software perspective vertically integrate their software into vehicles. And I think if you go out into the next few years, EV, it's a golden age. And I think it's even similar to what we're seeing in China with Baidu that they potentially are going to get into EVs. Because we're talking about a trillion-dollar market the next decade, and Apple recognizes where they sit. Autonomous is key, and, and I think this is just going to be another way for them to monetize that you know, brand, which is unparalleled.
1: And this same argument is partially what's behind Tesla's nearly 700 percent gain this year, right? While we're at 3 percent or so EV take up right now, there will be a point at which that becomes you know, exponentially larger. What about the idea of Apple teaming up with a Tesla? Is is that something that would ever happen, Dan?
0: Well, I think they could potentially, Apple and Tesla. And I think that's a partnership that potentially could happen in terms of how it fits strategically. So I think that could be something on the horizon. 2021, Musk and Cook on EVs, that would be something that could have a ripple effect. And that's why I believe a Tesla or VW is ultimately who Apple partners with.
1: Right. And essentially, Apple needs to find a partner. So what would be the best partner?
0: Well, i the bed the best partners in Fremont and in Tesla. I think that's one that would make the most sense strategically in terms of going after that market, especially where EV is right now. I mean, right now, in terms of the EV market, it's Tesla's world and everyone else is paying rent. And that's something I could see Apple further and further penetrating through a partnership.
1: Dan, talk to us about the rest of Apple's future. What's your price target on Apple right now and, and what do you see coming in the nearer future?
0: Yeah, right now we're $160 price target, $200 bull case. I continue to view it as a super cycle. iPhone 12, I think it's really just playing out in terms of China. This is a key market. And to me, Apple is a stock that I think investors are just further and further appreciating in terms of what I view as an unparalleled upgrade opportunity. And that's why the super cycle thesis has taken hold.
1: Amazing. Then I also want to ask you about the performance of Tesla on its first day in the S&P 500 and, and whether it adds to volatility. So obviously we saw, a, you know, a run up and then a little bit of a set off. Uh, what happens? You know, d- does it settle into regular S&P action?
0: Yeah, I think that was a bit of a sell in the news. You know, obviously parabolic move into S&P 500 inclusion. Uh, it, it's a really all about demand here. Demand looks very strong in terms of December Especially in China, that's really the winchman to move this stock higher. And that's why, you know, we have a $1,000 bull case on Tesla. And I think it just comes down to execution in this market. And you're seeing in China too, where it's only 3% of all overall autos today. We think going to 10% till 2025. That's why right now, EV is, you know, I think one of the more transformational market opportunities we've seen in our last 20 years.
1: Yeah, we'll for sure be watching that. I mean, a lot of people that, have, that saw that coming are benefiting, right? So I want to ask you as well about the, the solar winds and the, the hack. I mean, the cybersecurity industry, will this ultimately benefit it or hurt it?
0: Well, for cybersecurity, I think it could have three to 500 bits of growth in the near term. I mean, this is what likely looks like probably the biggest cybersecurity attack you know, potentially in the history. And, and, and it's, it's a black eye for the for overall for the industry, but the beneficiaries are going to be massive because government agencies and enterprise, they're going to need to spend on companies like Zscaler, Tenable, Palo Alto, SailPoint, among others. And that's why you're seeing these stocks continue to move higher in terms of where cybersecurity is going, especially in the shift to cloud. And this is, you know, obviously this attack just speaks to sophistication and threats. But that's a silver lining in this very unfortunate incident. It's bullish for cybersecurity stocks, and investors are continuing to move those higher.
1: What are your top picks in the space right now, Dan?
0: So top picks in cybersecurity are Tenable, SailPoint, Zscaler, as well as Palo Alto. Those are kind of names front and center that I think benefit here. And we believe cybersecurity stocks overall could be up more than 25% between now and, and the 2021. To me, in tech, taking a step back, it's cloud, cybersecurity, and overall Fang games led by Apple. That's the way to play this market.
1: Amazing. Dan, thank you so much for all of that, all of your intelligence. Dan Ives, Managing Director of Equity Research at Wedbush Securities. Well, it's a pretty wild year for equity markets. We're up 15% in the S P 500, but we really, I mean, we dropped into, you know, bear market territory more than that. In fact, we were down about 30-something percent at one point in March. It's been an even wilder year for Treasuries. We went from, you know, 1.9-something percent right down to 50 basis points, and we've retraced a little bit of that now. So let's bring in somebody who had to advise clients through this whole volatility, Lisa is the Chief Investment Officer for Wealth Management at Morgan Stanley, about $2.5 trillion in client assets. Lisa, how are you feeling as we approach the end of 2020?
2: So, um, look, we're feeling um, bullish. Uh, clearly, you know, we believe that, that um, we're in a V-shaped recovery. Uh, Although it's unfortunate that, you know, we're currently experiencing this this latest surge in the virus, um, we are constructive that potentially it will be the last such surge, um, you know, as we get through the the months of the tough months of January and February and and get uh, larger portions of the the population vaccinated. Uh, But the momentum, the underlying momentum in the economy continues to be very solid. Uh, I think, you know, some of the backward-looking data that we've gotten over the last eight weeks, it, you know, showed that there was slowing in November and December. We, could, As you noted, the, the consumer confidence numbers fell more than expected. But, uh, you know, the passage, the, finally, the passage of uh, this fiscal stimulus bill should uh, put a floor uh, underneath confidence and that combined with, with um you know the vaccine should should be able to to bridge us to to uh, a full recovery by the middle of next year and, and you know we think markets can kinda get to
1: thirty nine hundred. Uh Aha, 3900. So more room to go. Obviously, you you said you're bullish. I mean, if you had stayed in the market, if you had kept your nerve this whole time, you'd be quite happy. But now I wonder what's priced in, Lisa, and what's left to price in? Surely some of that good news is already priced.
2: Yeah, look, I think that the reason markets have stalled out here uh, at the end of the year is in part, uh, not just about, uh, you know, sentiment about the virus itself, but Uh, it's about the fact that we don't have a lot of uh, more positive catalysts to go. This is a market that has priced an extraordinary amount uh, of what has proven to be upside surprises, right? Whether we're talking about uh, the speed of recovery, whether we're talking about the fact that retail sales have held up, whether we're talking about the fact that consumer balance sheets Uh, have not deteriorated. Credit card charge-offs are not skyrocketing. Bankruptcies are not skyrocketing. The stimulus measures, uh, you know, thus far appear to have worked. Um, And, you know, we are looking at uh, 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 consensus forecasts for corporate profits next year to actually be up year-over-year about 25 percent. So, uh, that's a lot of good news, and that's certainly what, you know, a, price earning, a forward price earnings ratio of, of 22 times tells you. Uh, and so this is a market that's going to have to digest and, and let uh, a little bit of Main Street and reality and the numbers catch up to the anticipation. But, you know, we think that next year, um, you know, stocks, uh, at least as measured by the index, you know, can be up another, you know, five seven percent. For those so, clients, however, that need, you know, something more than that, that are looking for ten percent or fifteen percent, what we've said is you got to look at, at individual stocks. You got to look outside the U.S. You got to look in small and mid caps uh,
1: because the the index itself. Uh, is really pretty rich. What about stocks that had been overlooked, such as financials, where we saw a massive rally yesterday, Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan, and so on, after the the buybacks and dividends news? They're, you know, undervalued, according to some value investors right now. So are certain areas of healthcare anything in those areas attract you, Lisa? Uh,
2: Absolutely. So our our number one idea for 2021 uh, is financials. Uh, you know, We published a report this week you know, talking about the fact that um, not only do we think uh, that the yield curve does steepen next year, which will you know, help uh, with net interest income, but we do think that the charge-offs this cycle, loan losses, are going to be significantly less than historical, and therefore a lot of the reserves that were taken uh, by the banks will be released back into current earnings. Uh, obviously, uh, you know we've gotten a little bit of regulatory forbearance here, and and you know we saw that as you said uh, with the Fed uh, allowing uh, the resumption of, of of share buybacks. That's going to help the sector. Yes. Uh, and look, last last but not least, is there are lasting behavioral changes that that occurred during this pandemic that we believe uh, create uh, huge. Uh, opportunities. profit opportunities and
1: efficiencies for the bank. Well, Lisa, we are going to have to get into those behavioral changes another time, but we really, really appreciate it. Looking forward to that particular conversation and happy holidays to you. Much appreciated. That's Lisa Shallot of Morgan Stanley Wealth Management. Let's bring in somebody else now. David Garrity is with us. He's Chief Market Strategist for Laidlaw and Company. Also partner at BT Block, a cybersecurity and blockchain firm. And We've got the late law five forecasts for 2021. So, David, get straight into it. What's your five forecasts for next year?
3: Yeah, well, the five forecasts are starting off, Bonnie, uh, looking at the fact that the market's still very much dependent upon uh, government fiscal stimulus, whether it's here in the U.S. or whether it's coming from overseas. Um, you know, From that standpoint, we think that the markets will start the year off choppy with gains going more towards the back half of the year. Talking about markets, uh, we have a, a, an objective for the S&P 500 of 4,000 uh, for 2021, about an 8% upside. And uh, we think that against this backdrop, we're going to have interest rates rise on the 10-year to about 1.5%. Uh, obviously, we think inflation is going to run hot, break-evens going from 1.8% to 23 And then against that backdrop, we're going to have the dollar weaken against foreign currencies by 10 percent, you know, off the strength of uh, better economic growth forecasts outside the U.S. than the U.S. We're calling for international stocks, non-U.S. to outperform uh, over the course of 2021. And we think that here within the U.S. with an economic reopening, value sectors uh, are actually going to outperform tech in the year ahead, although tech will continue to have growth from disrupting as it
1: does. Yeah, fascinating. So that's a really complex look at the markets. Is that one forecast? I just want to make sure, David, uh, or or all five.
3: Um, that's all five, sort of wrapped into one yep. statement. As well, all.
1: talk to us then about we the val- have One
3: stray one though, but I'll get to that at the end.
1: Talk to us about the value plays because we were speaking earlier to somebody who thought that financial stocks and some areas of healthcare might be the places to look for for fresh value. Where are you seeing that?
3: Yeah, no, certainly we would agree relative to the financials and, and the fact that, uh, you know, central banks are allowing the, the financials to go engage in buybacks, namely the Federal Reserve's announcement and the impact that'll have in the likes of J.P. Morgan, as well as Goldman Sachs and others, certainly favors the financials. Clearly, it's the steepening yield curve, uh, which is a thing that really will serve to drive the financials. We think also at the same time that... Uh, a recovering oil price going from about $45 a barrel now back up towards 60 over the course of 2021 will certainly prove to support what has been one of the weakest sectors this year, which has been energy, you know, down about 31% or so in 2020, you know, underformed the S&P 500 by 45%. Um, you know, so we think that energy really is going to be probably the leading recovery trade. But along with that, we'd also would throw in with the financials, with the energy, also looking at industrial stocks.
1: Industrials. Interesting. What area of industrials and would that be predicated on some kind of an infrastructure package?
3: It may be very much driven by an infrastructure package. Certainly we've seen positive performance coming out of the likes of Caterpillar um, so far here in the fourth quarter of 2020. But we think that there's further upside relative to that. Uh, we certainly think that uh, you know the, the ground is set uh, in the U.S. to see a good infrastructure program being put in place. Hopefully Congress Cooperates, but that's what's going to give people, we think, in the markets perhaps somewhat on hold uh, until we get a better idea as to whether we're really going to become bipartisan in 2021 and not necessarily as partisan as we've been.
1: David, I want to ask you a little bit about cybersecurity in 2021 as well. Uh, BT Block is a place where you're a partner and it's a cybersecurity intelligence and a blockchain firm. Uh, I'm not sure how related the two are, but certainly we've had this massive, massive cybersecurity breach. It's very, very serious and it goes back as far as six months, maybe more to places like Treasury and other agencies. How do you see this playing out? Are, are we in danger that uh, right now without even realizing it?
3: Uh, And to the extent that people have gone more and more online over the course of 2020 as work from home became the new normal and is likely to extend into 2021, uh, you know, the fact of people having information observed or leaked uh, certainly grows. And and from the standpoint, what we've been doing within BT Block have been, you know, developing improved ways of managing passwords. One of the things that was the major weakness within SolarWinds was uh, that they really hadn't practiced anything near decent password management discipline. And that's what created the uh, the, the open window, if you will, that others were, come, were able to come in from, especially from Russia.
1: Will we be able to find a fix or a patch or whatever you do find for this? I mean, it sounds like it's gone so viral that we we're talking about, you know, X number of Fortune 500 companies, X number of U.S. agencies and uh, governmental departments and so on. How do you patch that up?
3: Yeah, I mean, the issue that you had with SolarWinds uh, hack was that there was essentially uh, code that was put into software updates that they were sending out to all their installed clients, both government agencies as well as also private sector entities. And, uh, you know, that's how the back door basically got populated across the user base. Now, the problem you're going to have here and try to remedy this problem is that the backdoor that was put in wasn't necessarily the only one. Um, you know, there are also other additional Uh, means of establishing backdoors in the various systems that have been populated as a result of this act. So trying to find a way to actually go through and clean it up is going to take some extended period of time. Relative to government policy, you know, there clearly is an opportunity and a need here uh, on the policy front to basically become more unified as regards cybersecurity, how it's practiced, not just within the government, but across the U.S. as a whole.
1: David, if there are some stocks in that area that you would recommend, uh, we'd be very grateful, not just to cybersecurity, but also the blockchain.
3: Um, you know, in, in terms of looking at blockchain, There have been a number of vehicles. We think that, you know, ARK Investment Management has had a blockchain ETF uh, that's out there that's very good in terms of highlighting some of the stronger names. Uh, ARK Investment Management, through their disruption uh, or innovation ETF, you know, had a banner year up 152%. Um, Granted, it might have been more due to Tesla in terms of their vehicles. But, uh, you know, I think over the course of 2020 merging, there will be more names that we'll be looking at and be happy to highlight at that time.
1: Great. Well, David, thanks so much for joining us today and have a wonderful rest of your year. David Garrity is Chief Market Strategist at Laidlaw and Company, also partner at BT Block, a cybersecurity intelligence and blockchain firm. On there to talk about his Laidlaw 5, those forecasts for 2021. Hospitals are deluged in the United States In places such as California. ICU capacity is down to less than two and a half percent right now. And of course, fatalities are climbing. Let's bring in Sam Fazali, Senior Pharma Analyst and Head of EMEA Research at Bloomberg Intelligence to talk about this, obviously, as well as the vaccines and this variant that we're seeing in the United Kingdom that may already be in Germany and France. Sam, how important is it to stress that this is a variant and not a new strain?
4: Oh, hi, Vani. So, um, I mean, look, it's it's nomenclature, scientific nomenclature. I mean, a strain... SARS CoV two is a new strain of the coronavirus versus SARS CoV one and MERS. So it's just it's just to be to be pedantic is the right is the right way to put it. This is a variant because it's the same family still.
1: Does it mean that the current vaccines will also work against it or do we know that yet?
4: So we don't know for sure. There are lots of reasons to remain optimistic. The vaccines will be apparently at least the Pfizer-BioNTech one, uh, the immune response they've seen to it does not seem to correlate with the areas where the mutations are. But mutations can also change the shape of this, um, uh, the conformation, if you like, of, of the spike protein, which is being targeted by the vaccines. So it might diminish the efficacy. But luckily, we're starting at 95% efficacy. So it's going to be quite uh, good to see what that might be even if it's 50 60 70 percent it's still a pretty pretty serious uh, help in managing the pandemic
1: now this particular variant we know that it's more contagious do we know how people are reacting when they get it is it the same type of reactions are they as sick uh, you know are ventilators something that come up
4: it's too early to tell um, you know the 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 um, the only way we know is in a few weeks time as hospitalizations and mortality data come through and then you can see what, what what variant of the virus was was causing those issues. You need the data to be able to tell and just by looking at the numbers, it's impossible to be able to tell because as you rightly said, if the ICUs are jam-packed, then people's mortality is likely to go up because they can't deal with them better. So that's, that's those are key elements that, that Serious science needs to be done to figure it out.
1: The measure is being taken, so lockdown and various countries restricting travel into their countries from the United Kingdom for various amounts of time, and those may get extended. Is that the right thing to do?
4: Yeah, it's possible that it's, um, that it's a bit late in terms of uh, shutting the stable doors after the horse has already bolted. And it's possible that they already, that, they, that the virus has evolved the same mutations in, you know, we've seen it already in South Africa, very similar mutations, not identical, but very similar mutations um, in other countries. And I would be amazed if it's not already in the United States. So uh, that's the key thing here.
1: I'm going to repeat that. Sam Fazali, who is head of our pharma analytics and really has been on top of everything coronavirus related, understands it all, says that he would be amazed if this new variant is not already in the United States, a variant that is more contagious. Sam, the longer that this, you know, COVID-19 plus its variants get to linger in a country and in the world the more mutations we'll have right how isn't it getting more and more serious and more and more urgent that you know we we impose draconian measures to try and stop this thing
4: well I kind of wrote that back in um, if you remember Vani back here a couple of months ago as the U.S. cases were starting to rise the the issue is that the more the virus, as you rightly say, the more the virus mutates. The more people have got this virus, the more opportunity gets to to uh, sorry uh, uh, the, more, the more opportunity gets to mutate, and that obviously eventually it finds ways around our immune system. So the, the, the key thing is to really try and bring it down to levels that a lot of Europe, you know, in France, if you look at the case numbers, they've managed to bring it down quite meaningfully. Although they've just relaxed a little bit their rules and I'm worried that cases will start rising again. So that, that's the element and, and draconian or not, I mean, you've seen the effect it can have on a country if they don't, if they don't make the right decisions. But what's going on in the UK?
1: Yeah. So, Sam, we are seeing vaccines roll out today. Fauci and friends got the Moderna vaccine. We had already seen other officials get the Pfizer vaccine. Uh, I guess, you know, when, when we eventually are able to get a vaccine, does it matter which one we receive?
4: Oh, they are very lucky people. Mm. Um, actually, I mean, I, I don't care which one I get. If, I, if whatever one's available between Moderna and Pfizer-BioNTech, I would happily take it. It's, um, they, they're pretty similar. One's got maybe a little bit less. Little, little bit more troublesome than the other, but frankly, it's it's neither here nor there. So I'm just jealous of them getting it. Yeah.
1: Sam, do you have any concerns at all about the idea that there may have been extra doses, that Pfizer wasn't willing to sort of uh, allow, it was putting a little extra into vials just to allow for, you know, uh, maybe a little bit of spillage or what have you, but hospitals are now seeing that you know, they can be made into extra doses and maybe even a dose and a half. Does that concern you at all? Should these uh, administrators be confined to just five doses per vial?
4: No, it doesn't, it doesn't uh, concern me at all. I mean, you know, this, you're activating the immune system here. Even if you get 25 micrograms or 35 micrograms, and please, I am hypothesizing here, right? It probably doesn't make that much difference. Um, in terms of the kind of immune uh, reaction that it causes. So uh, the important thing is that, you know, the more doses we have, the better. I am, however, not a fan of what a lot of people seem to be talking about, which is, oh, let's just do one dose because it showed some efficacy after one dose, and then we can extend this out. We have no idea what it does after one dose. It was just part of a trial where the end point of the trial was a two dose trial. You can't make these decisions based on what anecdotal evidence one trial shows you or two trials Th- show you so that, that, that's a big concern for me.
1: These interviews are always full of public health announcements and there's another one don't just take one dose if you're lucky enough to be in the system go back for your second dose because you don't know what you're in for if you just take the one but you do know how lucky you are if you happen to get two. Sam how long will it be before we know if there are any adverse effects in the population in general that are vaccinated?
4: Well so I just it's a uh, update up today uh, on our BI platform. Looking at the data that we've seen already, if the numbers are right, CDC has reported six allergic reactions by Friday night, and I estimate about 500,000 people have been vaccinated in the U.S. So that's a case rate of 0.0012%. I mean, it's let's put it this way: it's a very small percentage of people. Of course. One person getting a side effect is not a good thing. But this seems to be manageable, and um, we'll have to wait till January, February to hear about Bell's palsy because that takes a little while longer, at least in the trials, to surface. So let's see how that shows up.
1: Sam, thank you so much and thank you for all of your hard work all year keeping an eye on everything coronavirus related for us. We much, much appreciated. That is Sam Fazeli, who is head of EMEA research at Bloomberg Intelligence, but also senior pharma analyst.